thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to get together with us on Great Conversations. Do you know what that stands for? Great Conversations? I don't. Don't. Okay, so it's Gospel, Relevance, Evangelism, Apologetics, Training for Christians. Great Conversations. So there we go. It's great to be on the show. Thanks yeah. for having me. Well, I mean, considering what it stands for, I couldn't have a better better guest because you and I have known each other for many years. Yeah. I've so appreciated every time we've uh, been able to connect, uh, whether it's just in person or watch you, your lecture or debate. But why don't you just explain to the people who don't know who you are, mm-hmm. who is Joe Boot and what do you do and, and what's this big institute we're sitting in all about? Sure. So, um, well, uh, I'm actually from England originally. I couldn't and, tell. Uh, I'm sure nobody can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy to be a... Um, uh, an adopted Canadian, yeah. uh, came here 17 years ago now mm. with uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Right. I was working in Oxford for a couple of years um, as uh, a Christian apologist with that ministry. Prior to that, I was actually in, in uh, southwest London uh, working as a pastor. Right. And uh, uh, after a couple of years in the ministry, um, Dr. Zacharias, the late actually Dr. Zacharias yeah. now, um, asked me whether I would... Uh, come to Canada and establish RZIM Canada. Right. And so that's how my wife and I ended up here uh, in the work of, uh, of Christian apologetics. And then uh, about 12 years ago, after I'd spent seven years um, traveling in Ravi Zacharias ministry, uh, I uh, felt a strong sense of calling to establish a church in uh, downtown Toronto, right. Westminster Chapel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, yeah. Um, back in 2008 mm. and uh, in 2009 um, I uh, launched the beginnings of the Ezra Institute mm-hmm. uh, which is a cultural apologetics ministry I'm sure we'll come to that yeah and uh, and then uh, about five years later I established uh, the um, Westminster Classical Christian Academy which is a Christian school in downtown Toronto um, which is now uh, it's a, a full elementary school right. So that's been the, the, those have been the things that sort of Joe Boot has been uh, in, yeah. involved with after the past few years. But the focus is now the work of the Institute for me. Right. And I mean, just the name Ezra, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the rebuilding of, of, of culture and, uh, and Christianity within it. I mean, the, the change that I've seen and you've seen, even since the time you've moved to Canada, it's, mm-hmm. it's staggering what's going yeah. on out there right now, isn't it? Yeah, the... Um, that's a very good point. I remember one of my early uh, public speeches in Canada talking about the fact that having come here, it felt like Canada was, compared to the UK, a sort of rebellious teenager that could be straightened out. Right. Um, whereas the UK felt like a stubborn old pensioner who was much more difficult right. to uh, ch- change course. Um, and of course, back then, much of the legislation that, that, that now exists uh, in, in Canada was, didn't exist. Right. And the changes have been um, quite dramatic as, mm-hmm. as I look back over the, past, over the past 17 years. Well, it's interesting when I go down and talk to the leadership in the U.S., you know, um, Corey's used, Corey McKenna, our mutual friend, has used the same analogy. You know, I tell him it's like we're like a time traveler. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tell him, look, I'm coming to you from your future. Right. Right. We're, we're 10, 15 years down the pike from where they are. And yet when I talk to Simon Turpin, who's the, the director of uh, Answers in Genesis in the UK, I mean, he feels like he's the time traveler to sure. me because they're down to about, what, 4 percent 
church attendance now in, yeah. in England and here in Canada we're at about 10. Mm-hmm. US is doing a little bit better but the trajectory is the same mm-hmm. and uh, and so it's great to see uh, ministries like yours, the Institute, really trying to... Because cr- Christians have stepped back in so many areas. Mm-hmm. Politics, arts, mm-hmm. obviously science, answers in Genesis, we know the, yeah. the, yeah. the root there. Um, but well, the decline has been precipitous, That that that's for sure. Um, you know, the, even the, in England, of course, the Church of England's uh, membership fell below a million. And, um, you know, these churches are frequently on the wrong side of every issue from a biblical standpoint. Right. And, and therefore, their decline in that sense is predictable. But yeah. the Ezra Institute, uh, which, as you rightly noted, is um, Ezra Nehemiah, of course, at one time was one book. Right. And it, it uh, tells the story, the the of the labor and service of two individuals of when when you hear preaching on it you typically hear nehemiah getting all the credit right Right. because he's the guy that comes in and he's rebuilding the walls he's got the volunteers it's a sword and trowel and everybody's uh working away to rebuild but the work of nehemiah would not have been possible without the preliminary work of ezra who called people back to the word of god to the law of god uh, to be faithful again to the Lord, so that when Nehemiah then came and said, right, who's ready for some rebuilding? Mm-hmm. There were actually volunteers. Yeah. Had Ezra not done his work, uh, there wouldn't have been. So Ezra was a scholar and a teacher um, who was concerned with the return of God's people to the word of God. And that, that's what underlies ultimately the ministry of the Ezra Institute. Right. It's that foundation building again. And of course, Answers in Genesis is talked about that forever with yeah. you know genesis being the uh, the bedrock i think the seedbed that was uh, what right. you, the term you used one time mm-hmm. as uh, all christian doctrines directly or indirectly founded there and so you got to build off that so you're an oxford trained theologian and you believe some wacky things like answers in genesis we believe things like the earth is is not millions and billions of years old um we don't believe in evolution stuff like that i find it's rare to find a Christian with your ed- education, pedigree, so to speak, mm-hmm. that's willing to take a stand on that. W- mm-hmm. what, what's compelled you to, to say, no, we can, we can trust the book of Genesis where so many other uh, Christian scholars and, and, and uh, intellectuals just don't seem to, mm-hmm. to take that? Well, uh, first, just to, to, to be clear, I lived in Oxford for several years working with Ravi. I didn't actually study at the University of okay. Oxford, and I, I was spared that. Uh, <laughs> you were spared? I was, I, was spared, I was spared that experience. Um, I was at the University of Manchester for my uh, master's degree and at Birmingham okay. Christian College for my theological training. Um, but uh, I uh, did have the privilege a number of times of speaking at uh, student events, major student events uh, at, uh, at Oxford okay. and debating with um, Oxford students. And uh, for me, uh, as I recall looking back, what led me first to the significance and importance of Genesis as foundational and critical was my own experience even in high school, where as a Christian, I was trying to share the gospel with friends. Right. And it dawned on me as I was doing that, that they had no conception of the foundation. Right. They couldn't connect the pieces of the biblical story. So the the good news about the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was a was a message fragment, let me put it that way. Right. It was like a message fragment. It was like a headline without the story. Right. It's like listening to 680 News here in, here in Canada, right? Yeah. It's a series of message fragments, 
but there's no context mm. provided. And, uh, uh, and in my you know, uh, mid to late teens, uh, and my study of philosophy began when I was 16 years old formally, right. uh, I realized that the gospel to my peers in the 1980s and, uh, and early 90s was a message fragment. Right. And they had adopted a, uh, or been drilled in a world and life view that accepted uh, a chance origin of the universe, an evolutionary conception of the human person. Mm -hmm. And they simply could not relate that in their minds to this message fragment of the death of Christ and redemption from uh, sin yep. and fallenness and, and, and brokenness. Yeah, what, 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 the good news doesn't make sense if they don't know the bad news. And the bad news is that the first man, Adam, fell and that the entire creation was, you know, Subject thrown into futility. Yeah, yeah, thrown into chaos. So we're all descendants of Adam. We're all in rebellion against Christ. But I mean, I was, because I come from an atheistic background, my parents weren't Christians. I would have been one of those students you'd been dialoguing with. Mm -hmm. And I can remember Christians trying to talk to me. And, and, and I don't even know where I came up with it, but almost by osmosis, when they would want to talk to me about Jesus, I'd be like, Come on, man. Like, you don't believe that story about some guy who got two of every animal on a boat. And what about dinosaurs? And like, mm -hmm. I, I would just throw these things at them. The same questions that I answered and I've answered for the last 20 years. But that's where I was at. It, what are you talking mm -hmm. to me about this dead guy who comes back to life to save me from my sins? Don't you know the earth's billions of years old? Death is just a natural mm -hmm. thing, you know, um, and so on. So, yeah, I can relate. Sure. Yeah, well, it just seemed obvious to me in speaking to the the, the non-believer that that question had to be dealt with in right. order for them to properly comprehend the message of the gospel. Right. And as I read the Bible as a as a as a Christian, um, it seemed clear to me what the plain reading of the text was as well. Yeah. And I, you know, even during my theological education, I was baffled by those who. Um, uh, believed that somehow they could either see in or weave into a pagan account of origins into right. into into scripture and and that's so um prevalent i mean i've been doing this for 20 years you've been around the the canadian christian ministry market for for many many years do you remember how we met the first time i'm embarrassed to say i actually don't okay well let me let me remind you so I, at the ministry I was working at, I get an itinerary and it says, oh, I'm going to go to this event. And I saw your name, Joe Boot there. And, and I'd heard about you, but I'd never, you know, I think I'd watched a video on YouTube or something like this. And I was like, oh, I want to meet this Joe Boot guy. And it was a group of pastors who, uh, what they wanted to do was like an outreach program. And so you spoke Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you were speaking on philosophy mm -hmm. and you'd take questions from the audience. And then they wanted somebody to come in and handle the science part. And right. I came in Thursday, Friday. So I came to your lecture on the Wednesday to meet, uh, to meet you and just to see you speak. And uh, you, you probably don't know this, but I introduced myself and I sat mm -hmm. down and during your Q&A, and I had just been reading a certain portion of scripture, Psalm 110, I think it was. And you were answering a question and you were like, oh, what's that verse? What's that verse? And you you looked at me and you said, "Oh, what's that verse, mate?" And I said, <laughs> "Psalm 110." And you were like, "Oh!" And I think you thought I was a smart guy. <laughs> I was just, right. I was, well, I, I'm just not that guy who can just. Re but it just so happened. Anyway, that's how we uh, met. But okay. th here, here's the interesting thing. I remember the group of pastors meeting with me, 
and saying, look, we, we want you to come in and we want you to tackle evolution, but we don't want you to address the age of the earth issue. That's contentious. We don't want you to do a talk on that. And, 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 and I said, okay. I said, but during the Q&A time, this is my stance on origins. God created in six days. The earth isn't billions of years old. It doesn't make sense. And I told him a couple of reasons, death before sin. And I said, so if I get a question from the audience, I'm going to answer from my convictions. Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, well, if it comes up, I had 12 questions over two days. Nine of them had to do with the age of the earth. And yeah. I could just see them sitting there going, oh, yeah. Yeah. you can't run from this question. You can't run yeah. from the topic. You've told me that this has come up in the debates yeah. you've had and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, I mean, I've, uh, as you know, I've done quite a few formal debates on the existence of God with right. philosophers over the years. And it's, um, it's remarkable um, how often um, the, uh, in the course of the discussion or of the debate or even of their presentation or closing, it finishes with or, or includes a series of insults um, that are just thrown out about right. uh, evolution, about the age of the earth, um, about the absurdity of the, you know, the Christian perspective of mm -hmm. being science deniers and so on and so forth. Right. Um, completely unrelated to the arguments that they're supposed to be responding to. Right. But that kind of um, venom is, is often thrown out. And so one of the questions you know, I had in, in, in my mind as somebody who was trying to share the gospel as an apologist and evangelist was, how often is it that the doctrine of evolution um, has led to somebody giving their life to the Lord. Um, you know, uh, these are the things that the opponents of Christ use to 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 throw out against uh, the the Word of God. Right. And it seems to me that it's frequently the Christians who are desperately trying to marry these two ideas, usually because they feel that in order to retain some kind of intellectual respectability, right. that this will accomplish it. Um, in my experience, that isn't that isn't the case. I, I've experienced the exact same thing. It, it seems to be a bid for intellectual credibility mm -hmm. amongst their unsaved family and friends. Mm -hmm. they, they don't want to appear like weak-minded and, and so on. I like to remind people, um, perhaps too crudely, but you know, if, if you're embarrassed um, about the Bible, you know, when it says God created in six days and, and all that kind of stuff, and you're worried that somebody's going to think you're weak-minded if you don't accept evolution and so on, if you believe a dead guy came back to life, they probably think mm -hmm. you're crazy anyway, because that doesn't right. fit their worldview. Right. And floating axe heads don't fit their worldview, and virgin births don't, mm -hmm. and walking on water when it's not frozen. Mm -hmm. So, Or, oh, Cal, uh, the restoration of all things and our transformation in the twinkling of an eye. Right. Scripture says, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. It, According That's to Scripture, it's not going to take millions of years for the new creation to be... Uh, inaugurated right right so um, uh, there's plenty of other things in, in in scripture that can be looked at even if you were to surrender the scriptural perspective on yeah. creation there's plenty of other things that are just going to point to next you know Jonah and the whale uh, it's it's endless because in the end we either believe that the, the uh, omnipotent God who is distinct from creation created sustains, governs all things, and indeed holds all things together by his powerful word, or we don't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're so correct in, you know, this concept of does evolution lead people to Christ? You know, this, this compromise that we've seen, 
As a matter of fact, you've probably seen all these, you know, it seems like the news reports come out every month. This former Christian worship leader, or mm -hmm. they had a podcast and they were these Christian bro down guys and all this stuff, and now they're atheists. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always like to remind people, whatever branch of atheism people hold to, they have to believe in three things as an atheist. I know, because I yeah, used to you profess that. atheism. So you have to believe in some form of evolution because you have to explain how you got here without God. You have to believe in millions of years because evolution can't take place quickly. That's called creation. That's right. And you have to believe that the Bible can't be taken as plainly written. I mean, no matter what you know, stripe of atheist you are, you have to believe those foundational, fundamental truths as an atheist. Mm -hmm. The problem I'm finding for 20 years is most Christians believe all three of those things. Yeah, yeah. They've accepted secular interpretations of geology, right? Oh, you got to believe the earth's millions of years old, which means you don't really take the Bible as plainly written because the Bible isn't, it, it actually teaches against millions of years. And if you're going to accept secular interpretations of geology, why wouldn't you accept secular interpretations of biology? Mm -hmm. So I find most Christians are running around with the foundational tenets of atheism in their head. Yeah. I mean, contra um, John chapter one um, and Colossians chapter one. And I think one of the things that um, many Christians miss is the way in which the Newer Testament deepens, doesn't overturn, but actually deepens our understanding of the significance of creation right. and the role of Jesus Christ in it. So you see this for, for many believers, a radical uh, distinction or discontinuity between redemption in Jesus Christ and creation. Right. Creation is this thing that happened in, in some primeval, deep past, um, almost by a deistic being really, but by, by a God who maybe kicked the ball and apparently has had very little to do with it ever since because right. evolution just runs on its own mm -hmm. in terms of its own internal law, its own intellect, its own it, it, it's 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 uh, it's driven in terms of its own law. Yeah, um, you know, it's like winding the universe up and and off it goes. Mm -hmm. So you have that that sort of concept lying in the Christian's mind of creation, and then somehow sort of glued on top of that is the, suddenly the appearance of this guy Jesus, yeah. uh, who is now going to redeem me from sin and death, the very death that is the engine of life for evolution. Right. So the only way to, 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 to bring about creation, to bring about life, to bring about progress in, the, in that worldview is the evolutionary story. Right. And yet Christ has come to defeat the last enemy, Which not is, our friend, yeah. the last enemy to be defeated is death. And that is why um, th this radical separation in the end denies what the scriptures say about the role of Christ in creation. Mm -hmm. You go to First John, which is deliberately echoing Genesis chapter 1. Right. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Yeah. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. The book of Colossians says Christ is the Creator. He is the Creator, yeah. right? So the incarnate one, uh, who, when he's teaching on marriage, says, you know, it was not this way from the beginning, but God made the male and female. Mm -hmm. The one who could stand up in the boat and speak peace to the storm, who, yeah. could, who could basically say, go and pour that water out of those jugs, right? And it turns into wine. Yep. And who could command the leper or the blind or Lazarus to walk out of his grave. That's the powerful word of creation right. that 
sustains all things, that holds all things together even now. As we sit here, the, the scripture tells us as it deepens our understanding of creation, that it is the word of Christ that this very moment that sustains my life and breath and all things in the coherence of this created reality. So if you try and import the pagan doctrine of evolutionism into that, you are now involving the Lord Jesus Christ in yes. this mistake, disease, mutation ridden, apparently blind process. Yeah, there's only one place to put the, the millions of years of evolution, it's in the six days of creation. So, I mean, where we're standing here in the escarpment, if I go out there and find a bunch of fossils and what we see in the fossils, we're all laid down during the six days of creation and you've got cancer in those fossil records, mm. you've got a record of death, you've got humans that are supposedly 200,000 years old, and all that death, including the death of humans, occurred before Adam sinned. Mm -hmm. Then he sins and the curse says the wages of sin is death. Mm. How do you reconcile that? What's the restoration going to be like? If God's going to yeah. restore it to the way it was in the beginning, and the beginning was billions of years of death and suffering, you've just nuked the whole narrative. Right. Right. And it's actually, you know, a atheistic thinkers and philosophers are the ones who have noted that mm -hmm. and try and press that point. And uh, any attempt to then try and weave the story of evolution, as you've described it, into the plain reading of scripture involves endless exegetical gymnastics yep. and abstractions and conceptualizations that are incomprehensible to the average reader. Yeah. Oh, you need a PhD in, in eisegesis yeah. uh, to, uh, to, to, to comprehend half give those of the versions, you know, um, framework and, hypothesis or something right. goofy. And thing. I've, uh, I mean, I've, I actually on, on the um, Ezra Institute website, people can go and listen to my series of sermons if they wanted yep. to at Westminster. On, I encourage people to. And on, uh, on Genesis and the, the, the early chapters. It's not that we can't see within uh, scripture, within, he within the construction of Hebrew, uh, various forms, various structures, various ordering. Um, but just because we can detect a particular literary structure in the text, like in the Psalms, in historical narrative, doesn't mean that that no longer stands in history, mm -hmm. right? Because the scripture is frequently doing all. So, for example, you take the, the, the Gospels. The Gospels very clearly recapitulate Jesus's life, recapitulates the story of Israel. Mm. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Right? Yeah. He goes into the Jordan. He goes up onto the mountain to expound the law. It's a, theologians have noticed for, for a long time, this right. recapitulation. So we don't have to, we, we, it's not that we can't say we recognize uh, a, a, a marvelous structure here, or we see the possibility that we're noticing a, 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 a structure yeah. here. That then somehow we then say, well, yes, of course, because Jesus's life is recapitulating Israel, that means it didn't really happen. Uh, and, and if you apply that sort of logic and say, well, we, we, we might notice a, a movement or a structure in it that, that this text can be memorized. Yeah. I mean, all of the teaching of Jesus, because this is the way rabbis did it, yeah. was meant to be memorized. <laughs> You're right. Right. That doesn't mean we say, oh, but it didn't really happen then that way. Yeah. You know, that means it didn't actually happen in real history. Yeah. So it just doesn't follow. And, and this is the thing. It's endless rationalizations to try and move away from what is very clearly a coherent structure of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, 
consummation and renewal in and through Jesus Christ, the restoration of paradise. See, I've noticed that higher education now seems to be playing this game where, you know, it, it's not, it, it's about accumulating information, but you never come to a conclusion. Right. Because if you actually, you know, are dragmatic, well, this is the way it is, then it's, oh, you know, tre gauche. Like, yeah. is it to actually come to a conclusion and say you can build yeah. precept upon precept, which is a biblical concept. And so, you know, I, I see Christian intellectuals, uh, you know, many times, well, this is an internal, we, we can believe this about scripture, and they, they just, but your ministry, the Ezra Institute, is talking about engaging culture. And mm. this is where the rubber hits the road. So, for example, you mentioned where Jesus said, in the beginning, God created male and female. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so now what we believe about origins affects what's going on in culture because the, the, the gender issue, the, the identity issue is like a tsunami that's mm -hmm. creaming the, the Christian church here in Canada and elsewhere in the Western world. Yes. And well, I'll tell you a quick story. When Answers in Genesis uh, first launched here um, about two and a half years ago, I went to meet with some, some pastors and I met with a, a, a fellow, pretty large church, um, and, and I said, Hey, we could do a conference and, you know, I'll speak and we'll bring, bring some speakers up and stuff. He said, great. He, he himself, he, he believed in, uh, creation, biblical creation. And uh, he said, great. And they had a budget and all this stuff. And, uh, I followed up with him a week later and, uh, he's like, wow, you know, one of our board members is a theistic evolutionist and it's just going to cause some friction and we're, we're going to go in a different direction with our conference. And I said, okay. Sure, no problem, Bob. Uh, what are you going to do with your conference? He goes, we're going to tackle the gender issue because that's, that's the big thing right now. And I said, I said Bob, what, what's your theistic evolutionary board member going to say when you say, well, God created male and female? What, 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 where was Jesus quoting? He was quoting Genesis. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's just really difficult. And I was yeah. in the conversation. And yeah. That's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. So what you believe about origins is going to affect, like, how, how do you defend that now? Well, I mean, this is the, this is the critical point. And as you know, I mean, I'm not a natural scientist, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a Christian philosopher and cultural apologist. Right. And so um, whilst I have taken the time over the years to look into uh, the, the science right. and uh, do my best to understand what I can in that area yeah. and, and, and take the lead of those that have done the, the, the detailed work, um, my concern primarily, as you know, with the Institute is to look at how the denial of a scriptural world and life view rooted in the doctrine of creation has these ramifications and implications that flow into all these different areas of life. Right. And uh, this is um, an absolutely vital point because creation establishes normativity. I know that sounds like a big word for our audience, maybe, but, but you say a lot of big words. <laughs> <laughs> but, but normativity basically means that God has established by virtue of creation laws and norms that are invariant, right? Yeah. That, that, uh, that mean creation is intelligible and comprehensible. Yeah. And of course, one of those is the male female distinction and yeah. structure. And of course, the ultimate distinction that the Christian worldview teaches us is the distinction between creator and creature. Right. And Paul, the apostle in Romans one makes clear that uh, there's only two types of worship. Ultimately, you either worship the creator who is distinct and created all things, or you worship 
the creature, something created, something right. is lifted out of creation, elevated, and then regarded as the point of origin, yeah. the sort of Archimedean point from which we're going to understand everything else, which has become in many cases scientism or evolutionism, right? right? So the, um, the denial of creation for a world of flux, a world of constant change. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the point that I often raise with the, especially the Christian who, uh, who is sort of trying to import this in, is right. that evolutionism hasn't stopped. Evolution hasn't stopped in this worldview, right? right? It's constantly going all around you. Right. It is that you are then dwelling in, living in a cosmos of constant change, which is precisely why cultural uh, thinkers and philosophers, some have now turned to the idea of transhumanism mm -hmm. or posthumanism, where we are in the process as the custodians of our own evolution, of governing now, of ruling that process to a point where we can merge with our own technology and the cosmos becomes utterly self-conscious in man. I, I, and we I've, stage manage the universe <laughs> and download our consciousness into some kind of digital reality. Yeah. This is serious. I've just uh, read my latest edition of Philosophy Now, and there's a whole series of articles yep. on this. This is a very serious view of the future. Because yep. it's an evolutionary view, because there are no norms. Yep. There is no ultimate structure of right and wrong, good and evil, truth and falsehood, male and female. Yep. There is no, there, that is, there's no distinction, no transcendence. There is only this process of flux. Have you noticed the religiosity, the, the religious language that the transhumanists use, that they're gonna transcend? And I, I've done an article, uh, a couple articles on transhumanism, and they actually will say things like, we are going to become a god. Yeah. So it, it's the same old Genesis 3 Absolutely. trap. You yeah. will become as God, yeah. right? Did God really say, you doubt the word of God, can you really trust the word of God? And so the transhumanist is, is trying to get eternal life mm -hmm. That's right. a, a, without Jesus. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's what yeah. they're trying to do. And they think that somehow, you know, using science to, uh, to manipulate our evolution, that's, yeah. that's gonna happen, they're gonna transcend. They're trying to, they're actually, they're, they're, they're trying to remake the world and restore paradise in terms of their own conception yep. of God, which is man, which was exactly, as you say, the nature of the, the, the first temptation. Mm -hmm. And what people have to realize is that that may sound abstract and bizarre, but if you'd said to my grandparents in the 1940s, that by the time uh, your grandchildren are having children, people in the West will be denying that there's any such thing as mother and father, uh, male and female, yep. Um, they would have said that's abstract, bizarre, yeah. dystopian nonsense. That's right. And yet here we are. So here's where the doctrine of creation meets every single person right in the classroom of their kindergartner, that's right. of their smallest child, is that now we say, well, because we've denied creation, we've denied that there is a creator who's established male and female from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now we have a view that says all of reality is just socially constructed. Yep. We remake reality according to our own idea, our own will, our own feeling, our own preference. Yeah. Sex is fictive, said the uh, radical feminist Judith Butler in wow. her book, Gender Trouble. You are not, one is not born a woman or, or, uh, or a female, if you will. One becomes a woman, yeah. right? So there can be, on that view, a total disconnect between the normative structure of human biology right. 
and the very idea of male and female. That is said to be a artificial construct of a Christian world and life view that has been imposed upon people by white male oppressors, just like us yeah. sat here in great conversations. <laughs> we are the oppressor and we've yeah. imposed uh, this normativity on the world. Mm -hmm. And that has to be rebelled against in order for human beings to enter their true liberty and freedom and realize their own godhood. Yeah. To, and 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 if Shirley MacLaine, right? It, exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, the the New Age. We we used to talk about the New Age movement. That's it, in a certain sense irrelevant now, not because it's disappeared. It's mainstream. Right? Well, Paganism is mainstream today, and that's in in linguistic yeah. analysis or critical theory, which we could talk about. That is now this denial of creational normativity is now taught to people's children in Canada and across the West. That's right. From kindergarten. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't, don't we see this repackaging of the same old things though? I mean, it's that Genesis 3 deception. It's, it's been, you know, throughout human history. I mean, remember when, you know, we were talking about guys like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren and all that stuff. I mean, that's just been repackaged now. It's what progressive Christianity. Yeah. It's the same thing. You, you take evolutionary concepts, you apply it to the faith. You say, well, that's what people back then believed about the Bible. But now, you know, we've, we've gone beyond mm -hmm. that and they've got all these new views about who Jesus was and what his message actually was and who Paul was. And yeah. it, 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 there is no absolute fixed point. Forever yeah. learning, never coming. Never coming to a knowledge to of the truth. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's devastating. Well, I mean, in a certain sense, what we're looking at is the, the new liberalism. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you go back to the end of the 19th century, the early part of the 20th century, and you look at the story of the church, yeah, you see that basically German philosophical pantheism, and actually, by the way, I should add that theologians like Abraham Kuyper yeah. identified this stuff over 100 years ago in mm -hmm. lectures at, the, at Princeton. Yeah. Um, and he saw basically a pagan pantheistic idea of the world invading the church yeah. what did it give us it gave us um modernism right the old liberal the which which in the church became liberalism right the yeah. modernism which said look and, and frequently it was well-meaning christians who kicked this off yeah. who said well look you know um we need to in a in the modern world the world of science yeah. right in the world of mathematical science in the world in which we can uh we can uh pair things back to their most basic unit arithmetic yeah um scientism in such a world people can't really believe in you know jonah and the whale yeah yeah, yeah. stuff like that yeah. it's embarrassing the embarrassing parts it's really of the Bible. embarrassing there's lots of embarrassing stuff so we need to why don't we uh, in order to for people to embrace christianity why don't we demythologize, naturalize the Bible? Why don't we take out the stuff that reeks of um, uh, mythology and, uh, and uh, uh, the miraculous? Because people can't really believe that in the scientific age. We've mm -hmm. graduated beyond that now. So let's yeah. keep the ethical teachings and let's look for the real Jesus. And, let's and as a result, uh, liberalism invaded the church and so then we come up with um, and the theologians started to come up with uh, and the critics started to come up with new ways of reading the Bible so what we need to do now is identify 
I mean, obviously, we can't possibly believe that Moses is the collator of uh, these um, uh, patriarchal yeah. writings. There must have been a, a Jehovist and a JEDP yeah, hypothesis. Yeah. And we're going to start now. Look at that verse. That's of those few verses have obviously got four different people behind it. Because if you look at this element and that element, and we're going to invent imaginary sources for the Bible. Yeah. Um, and we're going to start in the process to remove all of the possible offense to people. And of course, the offensive parts are things like hell and judgment and uh, kind of this rather implausible idea about creation. We obviously now know post-Darwin that yeah. evolution is the case and so on. And, and what happened to the church, Calvin? What happened to the church was that it emptied. Yep. That was the result. The net result of modernity, if you look at... Um, m most of Anglicanism today in Canada or North America, you've got some majorly faithful Anglicans in, in Britain today, but you yeah. look at much of it, it's been hollowed out by liberalism, decimated. Yeah. The United Church of Canada is today a real estate board. Yeah. The churches that surrender Christian orthodoxy, that is their destiny. And the same is true of the modern, the new, in, the new liberalism, yeah. which is offended by the same things, right? Actually, you, if you go back far enough, although it didn't become public in every case early on, they were also concerned about the sexuality issue, right? right. The early liberals. But um, if you look at it now, that's become the, the, the focus of the deconstruction of the idea of the, of the family. Nuclear family. The nuclear family, yeah. human yeah. identity, human sexuality, that's now become the focus. It's made its way into the church. It's been offered a seat. Yep. Take the best seat. Take one of our front pews. And all it means, yep. all that spells for the church is that either we become a controlled uh, state church, if you will, an approved church that has abandoned the Bible but is allowed to practice yep. by government. Um, it will, people will either become part of that kind of a compromised church or they will leave. And the, and the churches will be completely hollowed out. Mm -hmm. and, but it's done often in the name of evangelism, of, uh, of being relevant, yeah. uh, and of being um, intellectually credible. Yeah. And the story is always the, the same. It results only in the demise of those churches and those movements. And as you mentioned already, the stories of apostasy of given individuals, pastors, worship leaders, and so on here and there, who apostatize from the faith and take others with them. Yeah, I mean, I just break it down to when I was 15. You know, I'm a secular kid growing up. Um, I, I bump into Christians. I'm not an intellectual. I haven't studied whatever, but it was so easy for me you know, and, and this is what I, I, I've always had a heart to equip the ground troops. I consider mm -hmm. myself just your average dude. Um, and, and, and so I think back when I would encounter Christians and they'd say, oh, do you want to go to a Bible study or do you, do you read the Bible? And I'd be like, you know, you believe this story about this guy got two of every animal in a boat? And I would get one or two responses. One would be, well, typically they'd just chicken out. You know, what about dinosaurs? You'd hit them with the questions, they'd run away. They didn't want to talk to you anymore because they didn't have an answer for their faith. First Peter 3.15, they must not have read it. Or they would say, well, you know, see this, this story about the ark, it's, it's, it's just like an illustrative narrative to teach us these, these, these truths, but it doesn't have to be a real story. And I'd be mm -hmm. like, yeah, this story about the dead guy coming back to life to yeah. save me from my, it yeah. I mean, just at a very basic level, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a thinker like, like you are. 
but that was so obvious mm -hmm. and it's so obvious to, to the average person too. Mm -hmm. So you can have these, you know, really, really incredible uh, conversations with people, but it's the rubber hits the road and, and you're right that the church has just emptied. I've seen it even since yeah. I started uh, in my apology. No, it's trip. happening again now. Yeah. Um, and uh, as soon as is, you, you allow that voice to come in, has God really said, no, you, you won't really die. Yeah. You'll be as God. You can define good and evil, right from wrong for yourself. Yeah. And um, you're right in saying that, that, that the idea of reaching a point of conclusion, of certitude, of, of rest, of saying yeah. that the point of rest cannot be found anywhere in the creation. It can only be found in God yeah. and in his word. And there I can rest and put my trust. Yeah is kind of like a, an act of intellectual pornography. It's not allowed, right? right. It's, it's foreboden. It's like you, you must always be saying, well, you know, we don't really know and we need to, I'm on a journey and we need to, you know, wrestle with this and yeah. wrestle with that. And of course we are looking to go further up and further in, mm -hmm. in the depths of our understanding of the fullness of God's word. But that's premised on a fundamental trust, a certitudinal, conviction a resting in the the, the word of god yeah. and i think cal from you know from my perspective as a, as a cultural apologist what i'm often concerned with is helping people to see when they have at, when they are actually looking through the lenses of a anti-scriptural philosophy to read the bible yeah uh and that is frequently why people end up going astray because they've actually got a world and life view and a philosophical context that they're bringing to the Bible that's foreign to it. Right. And when those don't mesh, it's typically not the case that people then say, ah, scripture it obviously has a world and life view that is different to the one that I'm trying to impose upon it. So I need to surrender to that. Yeah. What they typically will want to try and do in our culture is make scripture surrender to the philosophy that they're bringing to it right and and here's what i notice with a lot of people you know i i hear them say well look you know christians have different opinions on soteriology or christology or baptisms or end times and so creation is just the same thing i mean what what's the big deal and i always like to tell them look obviously you know believers you know, can sit down with a cup of coffee and pick any one of those topics and, and hey, look at this verse and look at this verse and all that stuff. As a matter of fact, you get a group of pastors together and they, you know, are, everything's fine for 15 minutes and <laughs> if their distinctives start to come out, that's mm. what they're going to do. They're going to open the word of God. Yeah, but what about this verse and this mm. verse? And you're going to go back and forth. But with origins, what I found Christians doing is going, oh yeah, but my geology professor says that the earth's right. 4.5 billion years old. So therefore these words can't... Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you're taking an authority from outside of Scripture to tell me how I'm supposed to read the Word of God. Yeah. And that's what you just, just said. So, Because I think that's where a lot of Christians try to get around this Genesis creation issue. Yeah. Is they're, they're trying to lump it in with all the other things that Christians argue about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And try, but they've knocked out the foundation. You can't yeah. even have discussions on that unless you can quote the, the, the Bible with authority. And if I can show you that Genesis you know, 1 to 11 doesn't have to be quoted as authority, why yeah. should I hold a stance on anything in there? Well, frequently, uh, uh, Christians have never even, either they've either not wrestled with the, the conception that the Bible actually is a world and life 
teaches a world and life view. Yeah. Um, or they have uh, tried to debunk the notion of a Christian world and life view altogether. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for you know, for many Christians, if if this was uh, if this was my Bible, we treat it as though, oh, what's God's word for me for today? <laughs> oh, look, this is oh, don't like that one. Hang on. Um, and we flick around yeah. in, in, in scripture like that as though we're dealing with some sort of um, crystal ball for my private life. Right. right? It's the magic eight ball. That, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's the, in, somehow that's how it functions. And uh, the, the very thing that you wrestle with in uh, are constantly wrestling with is your, your, your constant environment of the origins question mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, creation evolution. Um, I'm wrestling with in the yes in the area of uh, origins but then in the area of um uh, family sexuality gender on into the area of law mm-hmm. um and politics yeah. and arts yeah. and that we we r- run across believers all of the time who have never surrendered their view yeah. of political life or law right or education to the word of God. It's compartmentalized. It's utterly compartmentalized. There's no uh, actual connection between the normativity of creation and the word of God. Right. And let's think about the word of God for a moment. So the word of God, according to scripture, is there's the creation word of God, which is identified with Christ in John chapter one. Yep. There is the incarnate word of God, mm. who is the Lord Jesus Christ made manifest in yep. temporal reality in history. And then there is the inscripturated word of God. Mm. And these are one. They cannot be separated. They cannot be pulled apart. They cannot be divorced from one another. They cannot be compartmentalized into different uh, aspects of red. No, it is the same word, the creation word, the incarnate word, and the inscripturated word which reveals him, which do not contradict one another. Right. And... It, it is it is it is that reality that people don't realize that when they do not turn to scripture and fundamentally the the creation which psalm 19 we're told in scripture pours forth speech yeah and knowledge right i don't hear their voice in the way that i hear your voice yeah but there's no language across in which their speech the speech of creation is not heard right right yeah. And scripture is incomprehensible without the creation word. Right. It wouldn't exist without the creation word. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it is, it's not comprehensible without the incarnate word because it all points to the right. Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so uh, the, the issue is that we think that somehow we can have a little bit of Jesus who's going to take me to heaven. Yeah. And uh, uh, isn't it wonderful to be a Christian because I'm going to heaven, I've got my sins forgiven. But I can th- but I can practice law and medicine and politics yep. and science without any reference to the one who made it all, yep. sustains it all, is redeeming it all, and is going to release it from its bondage to corruption, according to Romans eight. Yep. That those things can be radically separated. So we end up in a situation where the church and therefore Christians frequently live lives where they do not recognise that the word of God, the scriptures give us a full perspective on reality creation through consummation yeah 
and that that reality impinges upon every single aspect of my life and makes the idea of neutrality or autonomy to be a law to myself utterly impossible. That everything must be subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe we can come to it in a moment, yeah. but this is precisely why we have a radically politicized church today, because we've never surrendered our political thinking to the word of God. You, you, I think you used the term pick and mix theology one time. Right. Uh, that, that's got to be a British thing. Uh, bits and, <laughs> yes, bits it's and bits bites is what we have in Canada. I don't know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so this, you know, the way people think, well, I, I'm a Ford man. My dad was a Ford man. And my grandpa was, you know, I, I, I vote liberal. Why? Well, because my dad voted liberal. Like, did, <laughs> yes, did, right. did, do we want to talk about politics? What, what are their issues? What is their stance on abortion? What, so I, I see this all yeah. the time, and it's the same thing with the, you, you know, with the way people approach the Bible, and, and they're not thinking of the outworking. Yeah. If you're created in the image of God, and you are not an animal, you're not an evolved animal, mm-hmm. then how do you function as a human? I mean, chimps, you know, they'll... One, one chimp will take out another one and become the leader of the tribe. Yeah. I mean, if that's the law of nature, if the survival of the fittest, and we're not looking at some wolf take down a, a, a rabbit and thinking about moral issues. Yeah. But if we're just animals, yeah. evolved animals, even if that's the God, way God created us, then yeah. it just affects everything. E- everything. Right? Well, it's yeah. like, uh, you know, Cal, I'm sure that periodically you've had something similar said to you, but one of the things that, that's been said to me in the past is... Uh, well, you know, Joe, all this um, cultural apologetics, cultural philosophy, Christian worldview is all very highbrow. You, what do we need all that for? You must be born again. That's what we need to know. That's the gospel. Stick to the gospel, yeah. right? As though, the, as though there is some simple gospel uh, that can be disconnected from the totality of the word of God. Yeah. And when you, when you analyze that, just very, very quickly, when you look at this, you must be born again. Okay, Jesus said that on one occasion in, in the Gospel of John to Nicodemus, mm. a teacher of the law, to help him understand something, that it isn't enough to be uh, uh, a son of Abraham genetically. You are so broken, you are so ruined, you are so fallen, yeah. you are so uh, depraved that it is required that God give you a new heart, right? Uh, and if you you and, and without that, you cannot even see the kingdom of God, yeah. the recreation, the rule of God. Yeah. And of course, that the reason we need new birth goes right back to the book of Genesis, <laughs> right? Exactly. And the fact that we've rebelled against God, we've fallen, fallen, we're in a ruined condition, yeah. and there is no nothing else that will suffice yeah. than the transformation of regeneration, the transformation of our hearts that comes about when the Holy Spirit works on us and applies the work of Jesus Christ to our lives so that we can enter into the glory of the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the, this is the problem. It's actually the focus of one of my little books here, Shameless Plug. Um, go, look, you know, go ahead. Gospel, gospel culture. Yeah. Um, where we get rid of uh, the and, gospel and culture, because my argument is, hang on, no, the gospel is a culture. Right. There is no simple gospel that, 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 that is anything but a f- message fragment, a headline, if it's disconnected from the whole story. Right. And 
culture is simply what we've been talking about as we've talked about gender and the sciences it's and an everything else. working of your theology exactly culture is simply the externalizing of your basic religious assumption yeah. it is it's religion it's our faith externalized it's our applied beliefs that's all culture is right culture manifests in the concrete world in the real world of everyday experience in law politics science natural sciences all yep. of these things it manifests our most fundamental conviction and there's no escaping the connection between those religious presuppositions those fundamental foundations that you're taught that you talk about i know as answers in genesis yeah and all the ex how those things get applied and expressed in cultural life right. all of it is a manifestation of that so when people want to talk about oh well let's just stick to the gospel brother never mind creation evolution never mind uh, uh, uh culture and education and law stick to the gospel now hang on a second yeah gospel is the good news of the lordship of jesus christ right well that immediately plunges you into the total world and life view of the scriptures yep. of our creation our fall our redemption our renewal and restoration in and through jesus christ that's the meaning of the gospel yep. and it impinges upon every single area of life it's its implications permeate everything yeah it's you know the answers in genesis ministry when people ask oh is this you guys argue about the age of the earth is it about science about creation no it's about the authority of the word of god which is yep. what you're saying brother we could we could we need to do this again because we could chat for hours because you've got so much to uh to uh, to share with us but uh, anyway hopefully we can do that but before we wrap up here i want you to do a shameless plug i want people sure. to know about the ezra institute i want them to know about your books and stuff so let okay. us know let let people know how they can get connected right so uh, in 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 sort of 40 seconds uh, the ezra institute is a a, a a christian think tank if you will that is we yeah. do thinking and writing and speaking and we're a christian world and life you training organization so we have a variety of opportunities for young people to come young professionals, students, yep. professional people, pastors to come and get some foundational training in what it means to think Christianly right. uh, about everything, starting with that creational foundation in terms of the, the laws and norms of the, the, the creation order. Mm -hmm. That's where it all begins. So um, there's lots of opportunities to engage with us. People can go to our website, which is ezrainstitute.ca. Yep www.ezrainstitute.ca there they can explore our resources yep. videos debates sermons lectures and see what kind of programs we have to offer and some of our resources um, just i'm just waving a few of them around so yep go ahead my most comprehensive one the mission yeah. of god um, don't drop it on your foot um, <laughs> my goodness and, and look it's really good for standing on to reach <laughs> <books>. like, <laughs> it's like, like four missions shelf help um, yeah. uh, and you know this deals with everything from education to law politics yeah and so it's on and comprehensive so brother I, that was how long did that take that was a four-year project wow um and uh then for for mission is a is a you know the other extreme this is kind of like an introduction to yep. how do we have a holistic view what it, what is it to have a cultural a, a scriptural cultural theology or philosophy right and then um one of my f foundational apologetics books gospel witness extending and defending the kingdom yeah um deals with islam secularism paganism the evolutionary question yeah and then a primer on uh culture and the gospel and we have lots of other resources on government and politics and life and and beginning end of life issues and so on so people can engage with that in the hope that they will come in it uh, and uh, in the end engage with some of our more immersive short-term training opportunities right. there for everything ranging from a day conference to a two-week intensive yeah 
Well, that's great. Well, brother, thanks again for taking the time. Hopefully we'll be able to get together soon and uh, so. maybe we'll get you down to the Ark Encounter sometime and with, the, with, uh, with the kids and stuff like I've that. I've been to the Creation Museum uh, before uh, in the past in yeah. Kentucky and we, we loved it. Haven't seen the Ark Encounter yet. I want to come down. I want to come and see Ken. It'll blow your mind. Yeah, and, uh, yeah we got to introduce you to the staff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You both can have funny accents and talk to each other. <laughs> He's an Aussie. Uh, <laughs> They've got their own troubles in Victoria and Melbourne right uh, now. My goodness ever, me. Yeah. 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 Well, Authoritarianism. Wasn't that Robin Williams? He said. He said. Yeah, Australians, they sound like British rednecks. <laughs> that, that was funny. <laughs> anyway, brother, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again it's soon. It's privilege. Thanks for okay. having me, Cal. Bye-bye.